Society, a podcast dedicated to suspense, crime, and horror stories from the golden age of radio. I'm Eric. I'm Tim. And I'm Joshua. We love mysterious old-time radio stories, but do they stand the test of time? That's what we're here to find out. Today, we return to the listener library for a suggestion from our mysterious listener, Clarence. Clarence writes, I really enjoy your podcast. A show I'd like to hear you cover is The Masks of Azor from Hall of Fantasy. This one chilled my spine when I was a kid. Hall of Fantasy premiered in 1946 on CBS affiliate KALL in Salt Lake City. The show is created by radio announcer Richard Thorne and sponsored by local furnishing chain Granite Furniture. Its successful run came to an end in June 1947 when Richard Thorne left KALL for WGN in Chicago. In 1949, Thorne revived Hall of Fantasy for WGN, focusing less on mystery and more on supernatural horror. This version of the show ran until 1953 and was nationally syndicated by the Mutual Broadcasting System from 1952 to 1954. Most of the series' surviving episodes are from this later run. And now let's listen to The Masks of Azure from Hall of Fantasy, originally broadcast November 23rd, 1953. It's late at night, and a chill has set in. You're alone, and the only light you see is coming from an antique radio. Listen to the sounds coming from the speaker. Listen to the music, and listen to the voices. And now... The Hall of Fantasy. What's wrong? Well, I, I, I must be going insane. Why? Well, I, I was asleep. Suddenly, I woke up. A voice seemed to be calling to me. I started downstairs, always listening to that strange, unearthly voice. When I got down here, I walked into the living room and stood by the fireplace looking at the masks of Asia. And Bert, Bert, I saw a pair of eyes in each, each mask looking down at me. In just a moment, the Hall of Fantasy will present The Masks of Azure. And now for our story. An original tale of fantasy by Richard Thorne entitled The Masks of Azure. There are certain things in this life of ours which can never be explained at least with any normal, rational explanation. Often we try to shrug them off, to forget about them, so that the question will not rise in our minds to trouble our waking hours and to create nightmares in our sleep. But there are some things which can never be forgotten, and among them are the masks of Azor. 
Marsha's uncle sent them to us. Harold Letterby was a man of wealth and unusual tastes. He traveled a good deal, and frequently he'd send back little curiosities that he thought we might enjoy. So we thought there was nothing unusual about the masks of Azor. Oh, who can that be at this hour? I don't know, but don't you think you'd better see who it is? <laughs> I suppose so. Yes? Package for Marsha Stanton. Well, I'm Marsha Stanton. Will you sign here, please? Yes, of course. Thank you, ma'am. Good night. Good night. Did you order anything, Bert? No. Did you? No, not that I can remember. Oh, wait a minute, Bert. It's from Uncle Harold. <laughs> Harold to go broke something as all these things. Well, open it, honey. See what's in it. Did you notice the postmark? Mm-hmm, Istanbul. Well, I'll save those stamps for Greg. He'll want them. <laughs> Uncle Harold's certainly been useful to Greg in his stamp collection, hasn't he? <laughs> well, there, that's done. Now I'll take the top off the box. What? What are two masks in the box? Gold masks. And a letter. Uh-huh. Here, I'll open it. Read it aloud, Marcia. All right. Let's see. Oh, my dear Marcia and Bert. Here is a little present I picked up in Istanbul. I hope that you like them as much as you seem to have enjoyed the other curiosities I have sent you. I picked them up at a little shop from a dealer who was quite anxious to get rid of them. He called them the masks of Azure. They're almost pure gold, and yet I bought them quite cheaply. There's some kind of a story connected with them. I don't know what it is. If I learn anything more, I'll be sure to write you. We'll return to the state shortly. Love, Uncle Harold. Mm, they're beautiful. And yet grotesque at the same time. Well, they look human. And yet... Well, it was pretty nice of Harold to send them to us. Where should we hang them? I don't know. That's your domain, not mine. Well, how about... Oh, over the fireplace? One on each side of the mirror? That sounds pretty good. Well, we can hang them right now. Anything to make a man work. Bert. Yes, dear. Oh, it, uh, it, it it's nothing. Well, what were you going to say? Well, I, uh, I don't know. For a minute, I had the strangest sensation about those masks. As if they could actually see me. It didn't take more than a few minutes to hang the masks. They hung one on each side of the mirror over the fireplace. They looked quite good there, and yet, in a way, they seemed out of place. The following night, Greg dropped in for a while. Thanks for the stamp, Bert. <laughs> that was the first thing he said when the package came. Greg will want the stamp. All the way from Turkey. <laughs> from your Uncle Harold, Marshal? Mm-hmm. He sent us those. I wondered where you'd got them. They're really quite nice. They're beautiful and yet grotesque in a way. That's just what I said. Practically the same words. <laughs> you think you both had one mind. Well, they certainly catch your eye. Well, is that real gold? According to Harold, it is. Well, it must be quite valuable. Well, Uncle Harold said he bought them for a song. It couldn't have been very cheap. The gold alone is worth a good deal. As a matter of fact, Harold said the dealer seemed quite anxious to get rid of them. I wonder why. Well, why worry about it? Uh, do they have a name? Mm-hmm. They're called the Masks of Azure. Azure. 
You know, I've seen that name somewhere before. A-S-H-O-R, I think it's spelled. I can't remember where. Well, don't worry about it. What? Anything wrong, Greg? The holes the masks have for eyes. I thought I saw something, that's all. Saw what? I don't know. For a minute, I thought there were really eyes in the masks and that they were watching me. Watching every move I made. Yet it happened again. I looked closely at the masks, yet I could see nothing unusual about them. They hung there on the wall, lifeless, with that strange mocking expression on their gold faces and yawning empty holes for eyes. For a minute, I... I had the desire to destroy them. Greg left about ten. At eleven, Marsh and I went to bed. I fell asleep almost at once. I don't know what woke me, but... of a sudden, I was awake. I looked over at Marsh's bed... only to find it unoccupied. There was no sound in the room... Nothing save for the tiny heartbeat of the clock. For some reason, I... I had a desire to go downstairs. Something seemed to be directing my actions. I was fully awake, yet... I seemed to be in some kind of trance. I'd started down the stairs. Marcia, is anything wrong? What's the matter, honey? What's wrong? I must be going insane. Why? I I was asleep. Suddenly, suddenly I woke up. A voice seemed to be calling me. I started downstairs, always listening to that strange, unearthly voice. When I got down here, I walked into the living room and stood by the fireplace, looking at the masks of Azure. And Bert, Bert, I saw a pair of eyes in each mask, looking down at me. You must have imagined it. No, no, but I didn't. Those masks had eyes, and they were watching me. Watching every move I made. Back now to our story. An original tale of fantasy by Richard Thorne, entitled The Masks of Azor. I had awakened in the middle of the night. Something had compelled me to go downstairs. And I found Marcia down there. She was almost hysterical. Those masks had eyes. And they were watching me. Watching every move I made. Wait a minute, Marcia. Take a look at them again. With the lights. No, I can't. Of course you can. Take your hands away from your face. There. Now take a look at them. They're just as they should be. Of course they are. You imagined you saw eyes, Marcia. Perhaps it was a trick of the moonlight. I guess you're right, Bert. Oh, of course I am. Now let's go back upstairs to bed. The following day was Saturday, and I didn't have to go down to the office. We both slept rather late that morning. A short time after we'd eaten breakfast... I'll get it, Marcia. All right, dear. 
Telegram, sir. No. If you'll just sign right here. Mm, of course. Yeah, thank you, sir. Good morning. Good morning. Who was it, Bert? A telegram. Well, who'd be sending us a telegram? I don't know. I'll see. Who's it from? Harold. Uncle Harold? What does he say? I'm returning to the States as soon as possible, taking plane this evening. Be very careful of masks of azure. Do not let anyone have them. I'm in danger of my life, Harold. In danger of his life? What did they mean? I don't know. But it has something to do with the masks of azure. Saturday evening, Greg dropped in. What he told us that night was the first inkling I had that Harold Letterby had stumbled upon a relic of the past that would have been better had been forgotten for all time. By the way, I did a little research on those masks of yours. Oh? Did you find out anything interesting? Yes, quite a good deal. Well, give us a rundown. I don't know if you'd like to hear it. Why not? It's not very pleasant. Well, tell us anyway. All right. You see, I knew I'd heard the name Asia somewhere. Finally came back to me in college. I took a course in mythology. That's where I'd heard the name. Azor was the messenger of the underworld. It was he who went forth and summoned the victims to death in the final counting. He wore a mask when he appeared on Earth, which he removed when he saw his victim. The mask was also worn to protect others, for whom the time was not ready to gaze upon his countenance. For the sight of his face meant death. You were right when, when you said it wasn't pleasant. He was accompanied always by a dog, a large dog of indeterminate breed who went before him. Azor's presence was always known by the howling of the dog. Well, of course, that's just a myth. Azor never really existed. I have to take it for what it's worth. Oh, yes, and one other thing. Yes. It said that the masks were once stolen from him, and he's been searching for them ever since. That he wears a different mask while searching for the gold ones. Oh, you... You've given me the shivers. Well, that's the story, Marsha. It sounds like nonsense. A being who set forth to summon people to death, always accompanied by a dog. The superstitious belief that's come down to us from the childish minds of an ancient people. Did you hear that dog? Oh, it's only a dog in someone's backyard, baying at the moon. Rather a coincidence, you might say, talking about a dog and then hearing one howling. But just a coincidence. What's that? Sounds like an animal of some kind. Scratching for dog. Uh, I'll take a look. I'll go with you. Now, now, be careful. There's nothing to be afraid of. There's nothing out here. What? I said there's nothing out here. But I distinctly heard something scratching at the door. Well, there's nothing here now. There's no need to get upset about it. Let's go back in. I, I can't understand it. Forget about it, honey. I'm sorry if what I've told you has upset you. A dog... Howling again. Somebody ought to talk to the guy who owns that animal. There's something at the door. Someone must be playing a joke on us. See what's there. I want to know what's outside. I'll go, Bert. I'll go, too. But is someone playing a joke on me? Don't move. It is a dog. Why, I don't... You wouldn't stand a chance. Balak. Balak. Come here. Must be the dog's owner. Alec, where are you? 
Are you the owner of this dog? Yes. I'm sorry if he's caused you any trouble. But you want to... You want to keep him on a leash. Is everything all right? Yes, everything's all right, Marshal. Oh, your dog, it, it frightened us. I'm very sorry about that. Balak, you shouldn't run so far away from me. Ooh, what are you looking at? I'm sorry. I was looking past you to those masks you have hanging over the fireplace. Right. I'd better put the leash on him. If you'll excuse me, I'll be going. Sorry to have disturbed you. Well, we might as well go back inside. Wait a minute. Why? He dropped something. I'm going down to get it. He was a queer sort of fellow, wasn't he? Yes. His face looked so strange. Soft. Almost like rubber. Marshal! What's the matter? Look! Look! He dropped it as he was walking away. He dropped it deliberately. Well, what is it? It's a mask. The mask of Azure. Back now to our story. An original tale of fantasy by Richard Thorne entitled... The Masks of Azure. We stood just outside the house. A minute before, the man and his dog had disappeared from our sight. Marsha went down the stairs to the walk where he dropped something. And then she screamed. It's a mask. A mask of Azure. Here, let me see that. It is a mask. A sponge rubber mask. Remember what I said about his face? Yes, I do. What are we going to do? We can't do anything until Harold gets here. Maybe then we'll... We'll learn some more about these masks of Azure. I'm sure that... Marcia didn't sleep that night. As for myself, I dropped off occasionally... Only to awaken with a start. But each time I looked across the room... Marcia was still in her bed, staring at the ceiling. Occasionally during the night, I heard the sound of the dog howling out there in the darkness. And each time I heard it, the sound of its voice made me shudder. The following afternoon, about four o'clock, a cab pulled up in front. Harold Letterby got out and came up the walk leading to our house. I see that you received the masks. Yes. And did you receive the cable? Yes, yes, the following morning. When you bought these masks, you said that the dealer was anxious to get rid of them. Why? Had I known then what I do now, I would never have bought them. I think we know some of the story about Azure coming to Earth to conduct his victims back to death. And the dog, Bert. Don't forget the dog. Then you know about the dog? Yes. We found out about it last night. Who? How? It was here. Here? That's right. He sure has found the masks. He knows they're here. He saw them last night when the door was open. Are you sure it was Azure? After he left, Marcia found a mask. A sponge rubber mask. He will be back, you know. Oh, I wish you'd never found the mask. No more so than I, my dear. A short time after I'd mailed him to you, Azure paid me a visit. He and the dog. I, too, found a sponge rubber mask after he'd left. The night before last, I... I saw something behind the mask. Like I... We must hide the masks from him. Otherwise, he will claim us all. What are you talking about? I have a plan. Me work, I don't know. Perhaps we can strike a bargain with him. Bargain? Yes, our lives for the masks. 
We must find someone else who will keep them for us. Uh, Greg will do that. Greg? Uh, a friend of ours, Greg Hunter. You must tell him it will be dangerous. I will. Good. Get in touch with him immediately. Or I am positive that Ashore will return tonight. I called Greg and told him of our plan. Harold decided that he'd go back to Greg's apartment with the masks, and if Ashore agreed to the bargain, we would send him there and Harold would return them to him. Greg would stay with us to await the appearance of Ashore. By six o'clock that evening, Harold had gone to Greg's apartment with the masks, and Greg had come to our house to await our expected visitor. At 7.30, the shades of night had diffused themselves across the sky. By 8.30, the tension had mounted in each of us to a point where we were jumpy and, and irritable. What time is it? A little past 8.30. Do you, do you think he'll come? Uncle Harold said he would. Just waiting. It makes me nervous. So am I. Listen. Yeah, I heard it too. Well, the waiting is over now. Bert. Bert, I'm frightened. Everything will be all right, Marsha. I don't know. I feel that something's going to go wrong. He's here. Well, let's go let him in. All right. Are you ready? Yes, I guess so. Here goes. Ashore's not here. No, but he will be. Here he comes. I'm sorry, gentlemen. It seems that my dog has been scratching at your door again. We've been expecting you. Oh? Really? Yes. Won't you come in? If you don't mind, come by later. You have a very pleasant little home. Oh, thank you. Do you mind if I set my package down here? Go right ahead. I see the masks are gone. Yes. We put them away. They were very interesting, you know. Weren't they, Balik? Balik is a good dog, yet he frightens people sometimes. You, uh, you came here for the masks. Didn't you? The masks? The masks of Asia. Oh. You don't have them, though, do you? Not right here. You have them somewhere else? Yes. We'll... We'll make a bargain with you. We'll return the masks if you leave us alone. Then you know the legend of Asia. Yes. I brought you something. It's in this package. In time, Barry. In time. What... What about the bargain? The bargain? Oh, yes, the bargain. I'm afraid I can't agree to it. Why? You see, I already have the masks of Asia. Look for yourselves. But, uh, Uncle Harold... ...is no longer alive. Why, you dirty... I'll tear that mask off your face and... Quiet, Malik. Quiet. I have no mask on, Mr. Stanton. But, but, uh, You are gazing upon the face of Asia. And those who see him no longer remain alive. Now, Balak. Now. It is time for 
back valley. We have recovered the masks of Asia, and we have many calls to make. and events portrayed in these programs are fictional, and any similarity to actual events or persons, living or dead, is purely coincidental. was The Masks of Azure from Hall of Fantasy here on the Mysterious Old Radio Listening Society podcast. Once again, I'm Eric. I'm Tim. And I'm Joshua. That was a listener request coming to us from our mysterious listener, Clarence, bringing us Hall of Fantasy once again. Remind me of the other episodes of Hall of Fantasy we've done so I can remind myself. The Shadow People. The Shadow uh, People, yep. one of our favorites. Yep. Um, there was also... Is that Corpse the, for Halloween? No, that's Inner Sanctum. Uh, a Perfect Script. Oh, one yeah. One of my yeah. favorites. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> one I did not uh, enjoy. Those are two of the standouts for me. I'm just trying to remind myself if I liked Hall of Fantasy or not. Because <laughs> I really do not like the intro to Hall of Fantasy. I know, I know. No, it's way over the top. It's super <laughs> over the top, but it's fun. <laughs> I'll give you that. But having heard those, like, I love the Shadow People. I like supernatural stuff more than any other kind of stuff in old-time radio. <sighs> I am torn on this one. I, You know what? Let me just hear what you guys think first, and then I'll form my opinion on what you guys think. <laughs> I'm not sure which story came first, but this is essentially the shadow people with a new skin on it, yeah. story-wise. If they stopped making shows in 1953, this must have been like one of the last episodes of Hall of Fantasy. Right. Also, we've talked about in the podcast, there's some weird things where there may be some existing episodes that were re-recorded from the original scripts in the 70s. Oh. This doesn't sound like it no. to me. Um, this sounds like a 1950s recording and style performance. But yeah, mm -hmm. this is definitely one of the later ones. And it follows Thorne's tropes to a certain degree. And maybe I'm, again, comparing it to Shadow People, but it's usually like a, a couple and they have a friend or a brother, and then there's an older gentleman who knows more about the supernatural goings-on or the occult mm -hmm. in some way, and then everyone dies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Gruesomely. Right. Torn apart by dogs. <laughs> one dog. Yeah, one dog. You're right. This seemed like a much more old-fashioned style of, almost like a campfire story to me, Yeah. Mm -hmm. rather than, say, Shadow People, which seemed a little more hoity-toity. Maybe it was because of the literary references in the Shadow People. Uh, in Shadow People, the, the characters were facing a very existential dread in addition to the actual mm -hmm. creatures. It was both a fear of the darkness, things in the darkness, and just the omnipresence of evil around you, uh, and a really multi-layered sort of threat there. And in this, it's not like simple, but it's an old-fashioned sort of folk god almost that threatens them. All right, I'm just going to get it out. 
The music reminded me of the music from Manos, The Hands of Fate. <laughs> and as I was listening to this, and I'm telling you, I don't know why this whole episode kept reminding me of the movie Manos, The Hands of Fate. <laughs> well, I'm very sorry about I that. I <laughs> think the wife and Manos was also named Marcia. I'm not 100% sure that, that there were eyes moving in the portrait in Manos and there's eyes moving in this. There was something overly simplistic about the supernatural plot of this and not that interesting to me. And, and something confusing about it. They get the mask and there's a guy that's got to get the masks. And when he finds a mask, he leaves a rubber mask on the ground. So I'll be back. Then he comes back and then he kills you. I don't quite follow the plot of that. If you have cursed masks that are in your house, there's a lot more things that could happen, including um, the eyes that are moving behind it. You know, there are things that could have been explored. It's one of those times where you wanted monsters to come out of the walls and fight people and have more rock'em sock'em action. (laughs) Maybe. That moment in particular of uh, multiple moments where they see eyes within these masks it does sort of strike me as a little bit of like a B-movie thing of like, there's eyes in the masks. And now I'm just standing here looking at this mask with eyes in it. And it almost becomes weird and unsettling in how empty that moment is. Yeah. There is a progression there, though. At yes. first they look at the masks and just the way that they are designed and the way they're shaped give them the impression that they're constantly looking at them. And then we eventually get to the point in which she gets awakened at night and feels compelled to go down and look at them, which I think is a nice, creepy Mm -hmm. idea. And she actually sees eyes. But it's in the presentation, I think. It invites you to think of the moment in a really sort of static, still moment. I think it's harmed again. And I'm even tired of us talking about it, but I still (laughs) have to point it out is the teaser at the beginning. So it feels repetitive because we've heard the scene already. Yeah. And so when they start to do the slow buildup of just the impression from the masks, you already know that it's going to become full-fledged eyes staring out. And so to me, that is part of the staticness of it because it's repetitive. But I mean, saying that, I don't mean to say that it's badly done or in, ruins the enjoyment of it. It's just weird to have it be an unsettling thing that isn't inherently threatening. Yeah. I find that the idea of something in your house that you vaguely fear... But yet, if you were to rationally say to yourself, this thing is evil, I must get rid of it, you would feel like a a lunatic. Yeah. It's a hard thing to justify taking action on in the confines of the real world. Um, So there's always that slippery line in the fictional world. At what point do I believe these characters would do something about it? And at what point is it something they could be unsettled by but ignore? My brother had that Jesus Christ superstar poster in our room growing up where the eyes followed you around the room on purpose. You know, they were drawn that way. You ever seen these posters (laughs) like that? You can do some kind of thing. I don't know how they do it, but wherever you go in the room, the eyes are staring at you. It's like a 3D poster effect. Anyway, it was unsettling to have Jesus staring at me (laughs) all day in our room. (laughs) No matter where I went, you'd wake up in the morning and they're staring at me. You didn't tear it down. Nope. You just had a static, awkward moment looking at it just like they (laughs) did. That's exactly it. Um, Overall, just to cut to my chase, I enjoyed this in a sort of meat and potatoes campfire story. It's good and scary. But, uh, for example, why does Ashore have two masks? Yep, there's one question. Mm -hmm. Because he has the rubbery mask, which apparently he just went to like a local Halloween store <laughs> to get his backup mask. Um, so he 
leaves one of those behind, and then he's also got a second one of those he leaves behind. But when they see him again, his appearance is not so different that they would remark upon it, but he has no mask, so apparently his face looks exactly like the rubber mask. And I took su- that to be another version of a supernatural mask, not one. He's not like wearing like a Nixon mask <laughs> to rob a bank or something <laughs> and then he pulls off. <laughs> you know, so I found that unsettling. But here's the plot hole. He shows up at their door, which I don't know how he got a passport and everything to get to the United States, but there he is. So he gets to the door. You got the masks. Release the dog, kill him, get the masks. What is he leaving and coming back for? And then why is he taking off the mask and leaving it on the sidewalk for them to find? Do you see what I'm getting at? He seems to be a pretty limited messenger of death. And I think it's also to trick them later into looking on his face. It all has to do with like when he's wearing a mask and when he's not is what the final game comes down to. And if he's wearing a super realistic mask, it sets up the fact that They've been sitting there staring at his real face, which means death. So there's a lot of machinations. That's what I'm saying. It could have been simplified that they have these masks that if you're in possession of them and he finds you with them, he's going to kill you. And that could have been the ending instead of all the visits from him. And it could have been them finding out from the friend that knew all of this about the mask of Azor. And you guys need you need to pack up and get out of here and leave these masks behind. And maybe as they're running out the door with <laughs> things in their hand, there he is. And, and, they, and I don't know. There just seems to be a different premise here that works, and they didn't do it. And Ashore feels like a, a fairy tale sort of figure to me of the motivations for why he wants what he wants are really narrative-driven, and mostly he just shows up to give the, your characters an interesting narrative challenge. Yeah, and part of it feels like legitimate mythology, where there are two masks, and we don't really know why, um, but that seems symbolic of something. And he wears other masks when he's out looking for his mask. One's for the dog. (laughs) (laughs) The dog mask. Thank you, Tim. (laughs) I get it now. Or did he get really hosed, where it's like, I have my backup mask in case (laughs) I lost my first mask, and I lost both the masks? Are you kidding me? It's like umbrellas. We did find out that he (laughs) loses a lot of masks. Yeah, he does just toss them off whenever he That's how he lost them in the first place. (laughs) Dropped them on the sidewalk in front of some guy's house. Just assumed it'd still be there when I came back. (laughs) It is rickety. It feels like a throwback to an older style of radio horror. Yeah. And when I think about it, oh, Thorne's writing in the 50s. Is there a level of nostalgia and a level of intentional, old-fashioned script writing that he's doing in the 50s? Because this would have been the stuff he grew up on on the radio in the 30s. I don't know if that's true, and I'm just filling in again. Yeah. Um, but it definitely doesn't feel like the other horror radio that is on by the 50s. And also by the 50s, horror radio is on the decline. It's one of the later mm-hmm. series. We're getting more of the detective sci-fi. and cop shows and sci-fi. So that might be why it doesn't feel like it's looking ahead in its storytelling techniques, but looking backwards. And again, this could be an accident of uneven writing, but there's this quality, again, if sitting in the dark and listening to these type of ghost stories where it feels almost dreamlike in its logic, mm-hmm. and it has the sort of dread and horror of a dream where things don't necessarily make minor sense, but it makes bigger sense. There's this impending doom that's 
coming to you. And yeah, Thorin is very repetitive. There's a lot of dialogue that says, like they recount to each other <laughs> things that happened in a scene you just heard as a listener. Uh, and yep. they do say Masks of Ashore a lot. Lots. <laughs> yes, they do. I also quite liked that last exchange of when he shows up and he knows that, like, your guy's dead. I have the masks. Let's have a little talk. What do you have to say for yourself? He's not an omnipotent creature. He shows up and just wants to know, like, so you tried to hide these from me. What was your plan before I kill you? (laughs) (laughs) Just so it doesn't happen again. (laughs) The -the over-the-top writing of this also had its moments that it felt like a politician having written something knowing it will get applause and they will stop and wait for those applause and it's always awkward when they don't get the applause. (laughs) They have those moments in this where they do it where they know they're going to get an organ sting. It has something to do with the masks of Azure. (laughs) Right? So there are a lot of moments like that where things are written with that idea that it doesn't really matter what we're saying. It's how we're saying it. Yeah, that's part of what makes it seem old-fashioned. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It does that thing that Hall of Fantasy does quite a lot uh, where it has someone narrating first person in the past tense who dies at the end of the story. <laughs> Unless he's quickly recording this right before the dog tears him to pieces. <laughs> um, he's telling you from beyond the grave, which is just kind of a fun extra little supernatural. Or a mistake in writing. I don't think they that. do it often enough in Hall of Fantasy. I think that it's you guys are really forgiving. I'm not necessarily forgiving of the bad things. I admire other things about it, but I will say I don't think that's an accident. They don't think they thought about it later I, after it aired and slapped I their forehead. I think <laughs> I know oh, you didn't enjoy this, but I think Richard Thorne understood tense. <laughs> I think he was a, a good enough writer <laughs> to understand that. Just and I go, whoops. <laughs> then why not say something at the end like, so here I am in hell. <laughs> wait, wait, you're, you're talking about Tell, clunky writing? Yeah. <laughs> it's signing off from hell. <laughs> Get back to work. <laughs> there was. <laughs> Stop talking to those people. <laughs> One little detail that I, I really got a kick out of was the contrast at the top between the uncle, who was this collector of occult, rare, scary things, and the stamps they were saving for their friend who was a stamp collector. Like, <laughs> no, their the, kid, wasn't it? It was their friend who came over. and Oh, it talk. wasn't their son? Nope. It sounds so much like a couple going, oh, let's save it for Greg. He loves his stamps. I immediately thought child, too. Yeah. And then he comes not over. A, like, not like, like a good kid. Hey, do you have my stamps? <laughs> <laughs> I also appreciate the sort of old-fashioned notion of like, oh, he just came by again on Saturday. People just come by your house? We've, we've <laughs> talked about this before, the idea of you can't do that anymore. You knock on my door. I don't go to my door when people knock on it, unless I know you're coming. You can't just come to my house. Don't. That terrifies me now. Do you have any stamps for me? <laughs> yeah, I love the idea, too, of their uncle sending them all this weird, scary <laughs> crap. I imagine their house just is, like, stuffed with supernatural bric-a-brac, like, just, like, that like was... an occult flea market. There's just, like, tones like, like, and... One of the three times it's followed up by a telegram of, under yeah. no circumstances, yeah. keep this in your house. Yeah. That was hey. my mother. My mom would find the weirdest <laughs> stuff from her travels and give it to us... My mother gave my daughter a real monkey skeleton. 
<laughs> he said, isn't this cool? And we just looked at our daughter and said, just shake, you know, like, and so she said, yeah, thanks, Grandma, thanks. And, you know, she left yeah. and she's, oh, my God, there's a monkey skeleton. We're cursed. That's what my daughter said. We're cursed. We are cursed. And I'm like, we'll get rid of the monkey. And your mom called back and said, everybody get out of the house now. <laughs> Yeah, my mom did stuff like that all the time. Weird things. I just remembered, actually, the, the end of the story is not Dog turning the part. The end of this actual story is A Shore talking to Dog of, like, our work here is done. Now let us return back to our home. We have much to do. Masks a... to lose. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but that structure of story... They know how to get home from like... the trail of drop masks. Yeah. We, like, we lose oh, our narrator. My car keys? The... Where are my car keys? <laughs> Damn it. Someone somewhere is getting mailed the car keys of Azor. <laughs> <laughs> but we lose our narrator, but the story keeps going, which is odd. Yeah. yeah. I, uh, I, I'm ready to send this to a vote doesn't stand the test of time for me it's not terrible it would be just fine to have on <laughs> in the background like a baseball game yeah, like a cocktail party at a cocktail party <laughs> conversation starter <laughs> it's not one of my favorites uh, i really enjoyed it i almost think it doesn't stand the test of time on purpose that it is deliberately an old-fashioned kind of story mm-hmm. pointedly resisting standing the test of time but all that said i Definitely enjoyed it. I'm very grateful that it was recommended to us. I like Hall of Fantasy in general, and this in particular. Yes, I don't think it stands the test of time. I think it was an intentional throwback, possibly written by someone who is not as adept a writer as the people he was hearkening back to. Mm-hmm. That being said, I really enjoy Hall of Fantasy, and this would have terrified me as a child. As um, it did Clarence. Yes, so I can see the nostalgia factor in Correct. here. Um, and it has some nice creepy moments. Just as a, a story element, the idea of masks that a messenger of death is hunting for, like that's a great story mm-hmm. idea. Mm-hmm. Even complaints with the way the story is presented, that idea really appealed to me. Me too. That's kind of what my whole hang-up is. Yeah. That they didn't flesh that out better. But yeah, thank you, Clarence. Thank you. And uh, don't be mad (laughs) that we took your childhood scary and said, nah. (laughs) Tim, tell them stuff. Please go visit ghoulishdelights.com. You'll find other episodes of this podcast there. We've got a lot of other episodes. Criminy. Um, You'll also find links to our social media pages, Facebook, Instagram. And you can leave us a message if you would like to have us listen to your favorite childhood episode and roll the dice to see what we think. Uh, You can do that. (laughs) You know, I used to feel really torn and bad about audience suggestions, uh, listener requests, because they're requesting them and we should like them. But it's very clear to me, having interacted with more of our listeners online, and they have as disparate points of view on these shows, and you could not possibly please no. every listener. So we've stopped trying, is what I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> and Clarence got caught in the crossfire. <laughs> um, if we haven't totally made you mad, you can go to uh, patreon.com slash moral Smooth transition. Yeah, I tried it. Uh, support this podcast. We, we'd really appreciate it. You can also go to iTunes and write a review. The review of Azure. <laughs> Title it that, please. Um, that helps us a lot. All right, so next time it's going to be one of Tim's selections, and we're going to be listening to a story called Bad Dreams from The Clock. Until then... I had awakened in the middle of the night. Something had compelled me to go downstairs. 
and I found Marcia down there. She was almost hysterical. Those masks had eyes. And they were watching me. Watching every move I made. Wait a minute, Marcia. Take a look at them again. Very well. The master will be very disturbed. Oh. 